1: Hello and welcome to episode number 35 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Today we're going back to February of 2016 for a hangout with Adrian Hurst on the subject of the art of listening. How do we really hear what the people around us are saying in order to engage in conversations with them? This is something that Jesus was brilliant at doing and that we can learn to do too and Adrian will be talking to us all about it. You can find this full hangout including a Q&A with Adrian and notes on everything that he had to say at slash episode 35 So without further delay here is Adrian Hurst.
0: Um where I want to start off with, actually, is to tell something of the story we've been on as a church, because I think this is something that we've uh, really been journeying with. Uh, I think we were at a point a number of years ago where we would make statements, but weren't part of conversations that were actually the conversations that were shaping people and shaping the culture around us. And it caused us to try to think, well, maybe this needs to look different. And I guess one of the stories for me that shaped my life most was something, an interaction I had with a neighbor of mine about seven years ago. And the interaction was about him knocking on my door out of the blue and asking me to sign a petition, sign a petition to stop a mosque being built at the end of our road. Now, when he said that, I quickly said, well, actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a church leader and I love the fact that in our country we have religious freedom. And so, actually, I'm not going to sign your petition. At this point, he became pretty agitated and kind of said, well, that might be okay for you, but you've got to think through what this area is going to become and how it's going to be transformed. At this point, it was kind of like a red rag to a ball to me. And I kind of quickly rose to it and said, well, actually, I love the fact that Birmingham's multicultural. Part of the reason I moved here was for that fact. And I'm definitely not going to be signing your petition. He at that point left and I kind of closed the door feeling like I'd got the moral victory. I'd shown what I saw was right. Uh, that I think most of my friends were kind of like high-fiving me afterwards thinking this is the best thing ever. He left totally unchanged going to the next door to ask someone to sign a petition. And actually I found out the next day when I smiled to say hello to him that actually it was to alter our relationship for the next three years in that he wouldn't actually speak to me. And it's taken me three years to, from that point to kind of get back on terms of speaking and to build relation on from that point where we'd be in good form now. But what it led me to think was, though I, what I said I felt was right, how I said it may not have been the right way. And what I did is, though I pushed forward what I thought was right, I actually lost this individual and didn't allow the conversation, because it wasn't that, it was literally him stating his view, me stating my view, and then the ending, it never became something more. And it got me thinking, what could have happened if rather than immediately saying what I thought was right, actually asking him a question as to why he was even doing the petition? And as I thought that through, it made me think, well, maybe I could have started to discover like some of his fears about how the area could change and why those fears were there. I'd have started to discover this as a guy who'd lived there for, gener- for, for most of his life, was an elderly gentleman, had kind of seen his children raised there, had seen the area changed and was concerned about what that was. Now, in it, I'd have understood some of his values and have understood some of his fears in terms of belonging to the community and how it was changing. And through that, it may not have changed his desire to do a petition, It wouldn't have changed my desire to sign the petition, as I still wouldn't have done it, but it would have left us at a point of being able to build from that point and continue a conversation. And I guess this evening, what I want us to see is actually something of the lesson that I learned seven years ago in that story has been playing out in my life, has been playing out in our lives as a church, that I'm hoping is going to help each of us to understand that the point is that we have the privilege of entering into conversations with people all around us. And my goal this evening is to see this kind of title that can seem quite jazzy in terms of conversations with culture is actually fundamental to everything we want to be and do. Because actually conversation is all about seeking to build relationship and seeking to understand as well as be understood. And culture can feel a bit like a blanket statement, whereas actually what we're talking about when we speak about culture are individuals are individuals that are just like you and are just like me. And therefore, it's with excitement, I hope, that by the end of me talking, I'm going to get us to see that actually the conversations we get to enter in allow us a moment of adventure and allow us a moment of privilege. But where I want to start off actually now is to say that in the art of listening, listening is an art. Stephen Covey says this. Uh, he's the uh, author of Seven Habits, which then became Eight habits of highly effective people Uh, he says this most people do not listen with the intent to understand they listen with the intent to reply i think that quote for me is the one that i have ringing through my head all the time i'm someone who loves to speak and i've learned that actually there's listening is an art I want to just quickly start off with is just looking at four things, four ways of listening that I think are fundamental in everything we're going to look at in terms of how we then hear what people are saying. The first one is picking up on what Covey says, is that we need to listen to understand. See, we're not listening to simply say our point of view, we're listening to understand what they're saying. And in seeking to understand someone as we listen, it means it shapes everything about how that conversation is going to be. It shapes everything about the kind of questions we're going to ask. So the first thing is listening and to understand. The second step is the listening from a place of love. See, as followers of Jesus, we have this unique understanding that we are more loved than we could dare to believe, that God has loved us so much and caused us to live understanding that we are unconditionally loved therefore in any conversation we're entering we're entering it understanding that we're not looking for love because we've already got it and from that point it means that we're entering conversations from a place of security understanding that we're not needing to push our rights because actually we already know that we're made right with God we're also not looking to build from a place of value or acceptance because we realize we've already got all of that from God therefore the starting point from our conversation is one where we're able to do what Jesus modeled continuously throughout his life, where he would go and wash his disciples' feet, say, now you do as I've done. In other words, you're so secure in who you are, you're not looking to gain something, mothers, you're always looking to give. And that has to be the starting point in terms of our listening. The second, so the third thing then, so we've got one, listening to understand, second, listening to, uh, from love. The third thing is listening to love, that in every conversation with every individual we have we have we have the opportunity to reveal something of how they're loved through the way we love them it may be someone that others deem unlovable and yet we're able in that moment to uniquely reveal love as so our motivation has to be to love people and in that it isn't just simply that we're saying, well, we're nice people, is actually that what we're doing in loving people is continuously removing barriers from around them in order that they can see Jesus clearer, in order they can understand his love for them. And so I'm continuously seeking to love people through the way that i'm listening to them even sometimes they might say stuff that i don't un, don't agree with but i still want to listen and understand and love them because what i'm trying to do is dismantle the walls in order that they can see jesus clearer so that's the third one the fourth one is what i call relational bridges that we have to listen from a point of understanding that every interaction we have has a bridge between us and that individual and, and this i kind of picture like um driving in the country, which I rarely do because I love cities, uh, but occasionally you have to do it. when you drive in the country, occasionally you get to a river, stream, and there's a bridge over it, a small bridge, and that bridge will have a weight limit on it. And what that weight limit is saying is actually if you've got a vehicle over this weight, if you drive this over the bridge, it's going to break. Therefore, do not go this way. And the same is true actually with our interactions with people, that we have a weight limit with someone else. And that weight limit will be determined by how long we've known them, the trust we've built up with them. And what we have to work out is what I'm about to share with this individual going to be able to go over the bridge I've got with them. Or is it going to be way too much? And do I want at this point in time for this bridge to be destroyed? And so going back to my opening story, that's what I did. I destroyed the bridge. I I spoke in a way that actually was beyond the, the weight limit between me and my neighbor. And what it did is it just broke it. Now, the great news is when it does break, you can restore it, but it does take time. Therefore, it's far better. I wasted three years. It would have been far better to have understood the weight limit, dealt with the weight limit, and then carried on the conversation out of it, building up the weight limit so I could talk about some of the stuff I really wanted to talk about. So that's the first part in terms of listening is an art. I think through it then, what I'd next say is having seen how we need to listen, what we understand is we're looking for exactly that. We're looking to understand. And so it's therefore saying, what questions can we ask that bring understanding? And I've understood over time that actually it's not about like my opinion and suddenly my opinion opening people's situation. Often it's about me talking less, listening more and asking the right questions that cause people to start to understand the the real questions they're seeking to ask. And as I've looked in this, what I've realized is that, that Jesus was the master of asking questions. And over the the past few years, every time I read through the gospel accounts, I'm struck over and over again of how amazing Jesus was at asking questions. And the questions he asked were always in a way to get to the root of what people truly were asking. And so what I want to do is just quickly, briefly look at four stories of conversations that Jesus had. And in those four stories, we're not going to look at them in detail. We haven't got time to do that. Therefore, there's lots of things I'm missing out. But there's some things I'm picking up on because actually what Jesus does is models a question that I think is so helpful. So the first story is the, the rich young ruler in Mark 10, verses 17 to 22. And basically, the conversation starter is this. The rich young ruler comes full spin before Jesus and simply says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's it. The opening question, what must I do? Jesus' opening question in reply to what he says is actually, why? That's it, why? And that's on the back of him saying, good teacher. He said, well, why are you say I'm a good teacher? His first question is this is what I want to pick up from is actually the question, why, is probably the biggest weapon we can have in our arsenal in terms of understanding people and listening to people effectively. Because actually, often the first thing people start with isn't actually the real thing they want to talk about. And in simply asking the question why, it gets them to understand a bit more about why they're asking the question. So that's the first one, why. The second story was about an expert in the law, Luke 10, 25 to 38. This conversation starts exactly like the other one. Now, unlike Jesus, I rarely have conversations where people run up to me and say, Adrian, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus seemed to have a lot of them. I have probably one in the last year. But in this one, Jesus responds a different way. Same question, but this time Jesus responds and just says, well, what do you think? What do you think you need to do? And again, what that does is it's getting someone, doing two things really. One was it, it's allowing Jesus to understand where that individual is coming from. It was also allowing that individual to understand what they already thought. And so the simple question of what do you think can open up conversation. Now, in it, what Jesus does then is he then also does this subtle other thing, which isn't a question, though he asks the same question at the end of it, is when the person, when the uh, expert in the law kind of reveals his answer, uh, he then says, Well, Jesus, well, kind of you've said I need to love my neighbor, what should I do then? And who is my neighbour? And so Jesus then just tells him a story. He doesn't still give him an answer. And stories are an amazing way, personal stories. It can be just stories that get people to think. And what Jesus does, he tells this story in order that people would start, the individuals start to think. Because then at the end, Jesus says, well, what do you think? And stories can just be a great way of asking. See, even at the beginning of this evening, why did I start with a story? Because suddenly, actually, i would modeled in that story everything I'm going to speak about. It suddenly shaped everything. For some of you already thought, man, I could switch off now because I've listened, I've heard everything. But that's the point. A good story does that, has a purpose in telling it. And I'm always looking as I'm hearing people thinking, is there a story I could tell now that's going to have a purpose in it? Not just a nice story, but a story that opens up the conversation more to allow people to think, what do you think? Third story, Woman of the World, John 4, 7 to 26. The conversation this time starts with Jesus and he says, can I have a drink? What a great starter. Can I have a drink? And then it quickly escalates to this lady saying, oh, no, no, you can't possibly have a drink for me. And she starts talking about ethnic divide and belonging. Jesus then turns and says, oh, but if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And what Jesus does in this is what I like to summarize as a kind of question. But it's also a comment of maybe this is about that. And I spend most of my life talking to people and getting to see this thing that we're talking about, thinking about. Maybe it's about a greater that that's revealed in God. And so what Jesus does, is he spins this whole conversation around and he does that and says, well, maybe this of me asking you for a drink is actually about a greater that about how I'm able to provide you a drink. She then starts to talk about racial divide, and he then says, well, actually, maybe there's a this that you're talking about of racial divide, which actually is pointing to a greater that, that actually I'm going to actually cause everyone to be united. And then he kind of hits the nail on the head and like, pushes it home by saying, well, maybe there's a greater this and that moment about who you truly are. And as this amazing moment of revelation where he says, hey, well, why don't you get your husband and tell, her, tell him about this? And she says, oh, well, actually, there's something I need to come clean with there. And at that moment, Jesus suddenly took it beyond kind of a understanding of what was going on um, in, in just them talking and about uh, kind of bigger issues of the day. And suddenly takes it to her as an individual and says, well, maybe this that we're talking about is about a greater that about how your life really is. So this is about that moment, so great. Then the last story I want to quickly highlight is the one of the woman caught in adultery, John chapter 8, verses 3 to 11. In this one, the conversation starts with Jesus, with his woman being thrown before him, and Jesus being told that she's committed adultery, therefore she should be stoned. And the question is, what do you say about that? And I think Jesus' response is amazing. Now, obviously I'm going to say that because he's Jesus, but when you look at it, it is just phenomenal. Like It just says he wrote on the floor. It doesn't say what he wrote on the floor. It just says he wrote on the floor. What did he do in that moment? He just paused. He just paused. That was it. He just paused to allow people to get out what they're thinking. And sometimes when we're in conversation with someone, we don't have to immediately reply sometimes the best thing we can do is to pause and consider. See, because when we pause and consider, what it's doing is it's showing the individual that we value what they're saying. It shows the individual that we're thinking about what they're saying. And then what Jesus does is once he's paused, he then kind of asks, asks the best question that's ever been asked and just says this to undo the whole situation. He just says, well, let anyone of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. What he does is he asks a question about self-evaluation. And that's just amazing. In the pause, sometimes we can then be considering and saying, what what do I do here? What's the question? I remember a friend of mine uh, talking to me. We run uh, an addictions recovery program We have three houses, uh, two for men, one for women, that are helping them through a 12-step program and know complete freedom and restoration in their life. Uh, as well as with their family, uh, and to get back uh, within society as functioning members. Within that, we're hoping they discover who God is, uh, but that isn't the giver. We want to see them restored. Um, in it, my friend, she knows we do this, and um, one day she just was talking to me about this. She just got really angry, and she said, "I cannot understand why you invest so much in people who are addicts. Like they made themselves that way. Why do you do that?" I remember pausing, because normally I'd kind of quickly fire back, well, what do you think about caring for people? Who are you to say this? And I just considered it, paused. And then I just thought and asked this question. I said, who did you know when you were at school who aspired to be an addict? And then from that question, the surprising or not surprising answer was no one. No one aspired to be an addict. What it then led on to was a conversation that wasn't about the heat of the addict, but was actually about how in her arena, she sees so much suffering from people who haven't ever deserved it. And she just questioned why. We'd have never got to that question if we hadn't started off by just simply saying, but maybe we need to self be self-aware first to ask a question that's causing someone to think about themselves. So Jesus, I think, helps us in terms of questions of understanding of why, what do you think. This is about that, the pauses and the self-evaluation. Then let's say from it, what Jesus then does is he brings two ways of understanding. Two ways of understanding whenever we ask questions that are going on. One is that we're able to understand the real question that someone's got and what's really going on for them. But often the other side of it, and it was within every conversation Jesus had, was for the understanding of the individual who originally had the question, the one that he's having a conversation with. There was actually an understanding they had. And often in the conversations we have, individuals that we're having them with are getting to understand something more about themselves they didn't understand beforehand. And in it, I'd say that through these stories that Jesus reveals, actually it reveals uh, within the culture we're in at the moment. And they come, they come out differently in different cultures. And probably someone will ask me what I mean by that in a bit. But I think within these stories that I've mentioned, I think there's five ways ultimately that it, when Jesus scratches beneath the surface, it kind of reveals the real question that that individual is facing. And these are the real questions I think that individuals, when you scratch below the surface, and I'll come on to a couple of examples in a moment, people are already asking. So you find it's a question of value, or what individuals value, which is what comes out with the rich young ruler. It's questions about death, which is what comes out in terms of the expert of the law, as in what's going to happen to me. Now, people tend to not ask the question in our culture, what's going to happen to me when I die? They more talk about how they don't want to die, because there's a fear of that. And the third one is in terms of identity. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery. There's that sense of... but what if people really knew who I was? I remember being sat having my hair cut. I have some of the best conversations with the guy who cuts my hair. And, um, we're talking about, and the, the, the opening part of the conversation was Adrian, what do you think about kids today? Don't you think they are just totally out of order? And I remember thinking this just seems so out of the blue for him to be asking that. And I, I just said, well, like, why do you, why are you saying that? And then after the three wise, <laughs> And then, what do you think? And then, at the end of it, what we got to was, I don't know if I'm a good dad. That's the question he was most asking. I don't know if I am a good dad. Because it was ultimately about his identity. And so then we were able to unpack that a bit and talk about what does it really mean to be a good dad? And how do we ever know what a dad is anyway? And so that's kind of where it lent. So we've got value, death, identity. The next one is belonging, which is what the woman at the well was talking about, where she was saying, But I'm not part of you. And within our culture, there's this continual need to say, actually, can how do I belong? And even the question in terms that's arising at the moment that you see internationally of refugees is actually is pushing within everyone at this bigger question of do I belong? Let alone could someone else belong. And then lastly, and this is the question the question that only rarely comes up, is who is God? And I think that question always comes up at the moment I was least expecting. it. I remember sitting on a bench um, on a kind of walk where I'd done to, by a river to pray in the city I'm in. It's not a very glamorous river. It's a very narrow river. Um, and I was sat on this bench just praying, and this guy walks up to me, and he says, Oh, what are you doing? And so I just said, Well, I'm praying. And he went, all right, yeah, yeah, I connect to God in nature. Yeah, I can see God in the trees, uh, because God's in nature, isn't he? At that point, I'd started to learn. So at that point, I didn't say, oh, no, I believe in God who is the creator. And this, and then put him right. Rather, I said, all right, how do you see that? And then I started to talk to him about, oh, yeah, I kind of see God's design in everything. And we were able to then have this conversation of who God is, rather than shutting him down in who he thought. And then me kind of putting it right. And it kind of allowed me, he, a couple of weeks back, kind of talked about how he said, I'm wanting to be a Christian. And we talked around it a bit. And he said, um, but I'm just trying to put my right life right. And I don't know if I can get myself like Jesus. And so I thought, right, okay, what's going on here? And so I just said, well, who do you think Jesus is? And so we started to talk about that. And in the end, what I realized is as we talked, is he just didn't see Jesus as God. He saw Jesus as his savior. He saw Jesus as the one who was needed. He saw Jesus risen from the dead, but he didn't see Jesus as God. Which then got us to this point of saying, well, well, then do you think Jesus is God? Which is what he's thinking and considering at the moment. But it wouldn't have got there because it needed the questions. What I was presented with was a guy who was saying, I want to be a Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want to uh, live rightly. These are the things I've given up. And it was actually through listening, understanding, asking some questions, get to the root. So I'm going to kind of make a couple of comments because I'm running out of time and then I'm going to finish and then we'll get some questions. The thing is when we get to conversations is we don't have to pack everything into it. We need to understand that our conversations are always left open to continue. I love Colossians 4, 6 where it just Paul writes and just says season your conversation with salt. In other words, whenever you have a conversation with someone, cause them to have a taste for something that causes them to say, do you know what? That tasted good. I want some more of it. Now it doesn't mean that all we're ever seeking to do and all I'm seeking to do is to be some sort of self-help person that allows people to understand themselves more. Ultimately what I'm trying to drive to is getting people to understand who they are and then who God is and how God's able to satisfy the deepest questions that they have. And that has to be the goal through the conversations that we have. But the conversations keep going. I've got some conversations that have been going on for seven years now. But I tell you what, the conversations we have now are, f- are such a depth compared to where they were seven years ago. Then a couple of things. One is I'd encourage us to listen when no one's speaking. What do I mean by that? I'd say listen through what you watch on TV. Listen through what you, the films you watch. Listen uh, through uh, radio debates. Listen through the articles you read. Because you do that, you'll start to hear something of what people are thinking and feeling. I was reading a newspaper literally two Sundays ago. The big title was stress. This is a big question people have got. And what this article was doing was actually saying, well, maybe the title stress isn't the real thing. Maybe we need to understand what the symptoms are underneath the word stress. And in understanding what the symptoms are, we can begin to see what we do to solve it. And for me, I was kind of left thinking, man, we really need to examine this and see how we can help scratch where people are itching in terms of stress. So listen when no one's speaking. Also, quick note in terms of social media. I love social media, but what I would say is this treat it exactly the same as any other relationship. Don't blow up the bridges. You need to – I always think with social media, I remember a friend who's in the industry talking to me and saying the goal is always person-to-person contact when you're doing conversations. And so I'm always looking, is this possible to get to a point of person-to-person contact? Is it also a moment of actually building a community with someone online? So it isn't just one blanket statement, but rather I'm seeking a, a conversation out of it. Now I'm not massive on social media because I actually generally love face to face rather than social media. And so we'll always drive to why don't we just meet? Uh, but that'd be a quick note and a note of caution as well that, uh, if we're not careful, we just blow loads of bridges up uh, which doesn't just necessarily affect us. It actually affects all the other believers that person's in contact with. So here we go to finish off with, and I think I'm nearly on time, which I'm quite happy about. Um, I believe, and I go as far as to say that, that we're living within a culture at this point in time that is longing to be listened to. I think in our day and age, the fields are white to harvest, but it just looks really different to what it used to. And what we've got is a society where there is more communication than has ever been before with outlets to communication that are there that have not been before and yet people who are feeling less listened to and less understood. And what we have the unique privilege of doing is actually being the ones who then get the adventure of starting conversations with the goal of saying, how can I listen and understand this individual? Because I actually know they're longing to be understood and listened to. And for me, that transforms everything. I sometimes pinch myself at the conversations I get uh, uh, with some of the people who work at the tills at my co-op, because just through the things I've done, they open up their life. They hold cues just to tell me stuff. And I think, why have I deserved that? And I realise, oh, it's just because I was the person who paused. I was the person who just asked the question. And all they're looking to is just to be listened understood.
1: We hope you enjoyed this Hangout with Adrian. For full notes on everything that Adrian was saying, plus access to a Q&A with Adrian on this topic, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org episode 35. And if you go to thebroadcastnetwork.org, you will also get access to our full library of training materials and you can sign up for updates about Hangouts that will be happening in the future.